If you're not reaching your financial potential, you're going it alone as a solopreneur, or you're lacking fulfillment and meaning in your life, then this podcast is for you. In each and every episode, Rock helps you create breakthroughs and results so you can live life on your terms. So get ready to unleash more money, time, and magic in your life. Here's your host, Rock Thomas. Hey, before we get started today, I want to remind you that if you want more out of your life, there is another way. Whether you're lacking momentum in your business, you don't have a supportive environment, or you're tired of not living in your gifts and finally want to live a life that excites you, we can help. All you have to do is get on a call with somebody on my team that's going to rock your world. By going to rockthomas.com forward slash VIP call, we are there to help you rock your money and your life. So what are you waiting for? Go to rockthomas.com forward slash VIP call and let's get started today. All right, my next guest, Britton Hill, was born and raised in a low-income family and was bullied for various reasons as a kid. Now, fast forward to 26, he's a multimillionaire, president of Weber Global, an advisor to ultra-high net worth individuals. Imagine at 26, advising people that invest at least a million dollars with you. You know, the things that, that, that we talk about in this interview are really interesting because it goes all the way from millennials to people that are more my age, from cryptocurrency to investing in the S&P and everything in between. Um, he actually has partnered now with his mentor, and you're going to hear that story as well. He's a really, really grounded, smart individual. And for somebody to be advising people on investments at the age of 26, as you're gonna see in his story, he started investing at the age of seven. And I'm not gonna tell you what he invested in, but you're gonna find out in the interview. This is gonna be one of the richest interviews when it comes to your pathway as an investor and to building that identity. I'm super stoked for you to listen to my conversation with Britton. He's such a bright, beautiful mind. Let's get to it right away on this episode of Rock Your Money, Rock Your Life. And it is a pleasure to have a chat with you today. I want to talk about money because that's something that you're pretty passionate about. Welcome to Rock Your Money, Rock Your Life podcast. Hey, Rock. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So ironically, as we were talking before, we are actually about uh, two or three good drives. I don't know if you play golf, but uh, two or three drives from each other physically as you're in town. Yeah. Both, both at the, the foothills of Camelback Mountain. So how are you enjoying the heat? Oh, I love the heat. I need it. I'm like a lizard. I can play out in the sun all day long and not get overheated. So I'm loving it. Yeah. People say to me, why do you move to, to Phoenix? And I go, why not? I love yeah. everything about it. You know, open air, it's bright, it's sunny almost every day. People are cool. You can exercise, you can hike, you can bike, you can swim, you can golf, you can do it all. Well, unless you're from a cold place like you and I originally, yeah. uh, you don't fully appreciate the sun and the desert and the heat and, and everything. So you ended up in Scottsdale, I ended up in Miami Beach, and it's been great. Yeah, 100%. So let's talk a little bit about, um, about money. Uh, sure. About 97% of the population struggle with money. They struggle in, and I'll frame it to you this way. I look at the cash flow quadrants, Robert Kiyosaki's cash flow quadrants, and I go, we have an identity in each of the quadrants. So as yeah. an employee, you have a way. You know, you show up early, stay late, or you try to cut corners, whatever the case may be, right? Mm-hmm. 
Then you have, if you go out and become an independent contractor, you're, you're like an insurance salesperson or a realtor or what have you, um, you have self-discipline or a lack of it and you struggle or you do really well. And then you go over and you become a business person and you can build a team and you can hire and you can train and you get really good at that and you can scale and you can have some freedom. And then ultimately you can become an investor. My particular story, Britton, was I was good at the first three and I poured all my money into investor quadrant and I took advice from all the people that I grew up with. Mm -hmm. And guess how that turned out? I mean, I can guess. <laughs> I'm gonna guess not, it's not very well. Not so good. So in the last decade, I learned that I really needed to take my investment advice from people that were miles down the road, uh, worth a hundred million or more. And that's turned out really well for me. And so let's talk a little bit about, you know, the money personality that you've created and what you've experienced out there. Sure. Um, so rock for me, my biggest skill has always been the investing aspect. Um, I've been really good at it. I'm a very strong analyst. Um, I'm, I'd like to say I'm pretty patient, even though I could always be more patient. But for me, it was I was always good at investing, and my strength came from that. I started out really young, um, grew up in a poor family, and I remember even at seven years old hearing my parents talk about money and, and kind of feeling stressed about money as a little kid. So what I ended up doing is I got I started working for my neighbors. I got little odd jobs around the house, and I did everything I possibly could to save and make my own money. And it, it was one of those things where it was at the right place at the right time because this was 2002. And I walked in the house one day and I saw my dad had some silver coins laid out. And to a seven-year-old, you know, that looks like pirate's treasure. So I wanted it. And uh, he said, you know, for four or five dollars, we could go buy you some. And I had at this point, you know, a couple hundred bucks saved for my job. So I said, great, let's go. And I, I started buying them. And he took me to the coin shop down the street. I continued this process of working and buying silver coins for years, all the way up until I was 16 years old, which was 2011. And silver had gone from three or four bucks an ounce to... 49 by this point in time. And I had a few thousand ounces of this stuff by then. And uh, he handed me an investing newsletter and he said, you know, this guy started with precious metals when he was 16. You've got a lot of precious metals yourself at 16 years old. So see what you think. I uh, started reading it, read it religiously. And um, the writer of this newsletter wrote about the silver peak in April of 2011. He said, time to sell all your silver. So I ended up cashing out at 46 bucks an ounce. Um, and then roll that into medical device companies. And after a few years in the medical device companies, by the time I was in my early 20s, uh, I was financially sufficient. And uh, that's that's how I made my wealth and you know just continued to grow that. And now we run a wealth management firm helping other people do the same. But investing has always been my strength, even though I'm now an entrepreneur having started a wealth management firm, it all stems from the, the final process, uh, step of the process of being a, being a strong investor. So let me break that down because there's a couple of things here that I think are important. First, give me your definition on financially sufficient. Financially sufficient. Um, I think what you need to do is have your lifestyle in mind. And for me, in my early 20s, uh, I was living a pretty minimal lifestyle where I looked at it. I looked how much I had. I looked at how much I had. I looked at how much I, I would earn if my compounding kept going. And I was at a point where, you know, if, if I could never work a job right now, and I lost everything, I would be able to support my current lifestyle indefinitely, which at the time, you know, it wasn't a super glamorous lifestyle, but at least I knew, hey, if, if I can't work or if something happens, I can stay home, I can live in a modest apartment, I can just read books or play video games or, you know, spend time with my family, whatever I want to do for the rest of my life. And then 
as I continued to work and to earn and to invest, my lifestyle was able to, I was able to increase my lifestyle while still being able to do it forever, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. So the term I use is financial security for that first level. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing. And so are you saying that you're basically your passive income was sufficient to cover for your basic needs? Yes. Okay. All right. So that's the first level I try to help people get to. I'd love, I'd love for your comment on this is to me, I try to keep things super simple. So I say, if you want to become wealthy and part of this comes from the richest man in Babylon, but mm-hmm. in increase what you earn, that's a thing you can control by developing yeah. your skill set or working harder, putting in more hours, right? Yep. Decrease your burn, which is, you know, a modest apartment, a modest vehicle, um, don't, you don't need to have Gucci this and Prada that, right? You could, but you don't need to. Right. Um, and that gap creates money that most people are conditioned to, to consume. They're consumers, but a guy mm-hmm. like you from a very young age, I can't believe you had 200 bucks at the age of seven, seven, but that's pretty impressive. Um, you took that money and you chose to invest it. Yes. And then there becomes the, the managing of that and the skill of investing. So first of all, I want to ask you is what was, was it that like your parents arguing over money, the, the feeling that what would try to think back, what was the genesis of you not being a consumer, but being an investor? Uh, for me at that time, it was, it was fear, but uh, also almost a little bit of a competition with my sister, if I can say it like that, because I remember, um, she was, she was just two years younger than me. She was five at the time. And we had each been given a gift from our aunt of a hundred dollars. And as, as a seven-year-old originally, I went and just, I blew it. I just, you know, I went and bought stuff, but she was five, you know, she didn't, she didn't really want for anything. And I remember my mom a few months later said, wow, she still has her hundred dollars. And I was like, what? <laughs> and that, that kind of bothered me. He was like, well, I want a hundred dollars. And so my dad's like, well, go earn it. And so I, I went and I started working with my neighbors and it was almost a little bit of a competition at first, but then my parents started teaching us about finances. They we actually played the Robert Kiyosaki uh, rat race cash game yeah. and yeah, cash flow for kids. And, um, he, he read me rich dad, poor dad. He did everything he could to teach me because he said, you know what, son, we're not in a good place financially now, but we will be. And so if you do this now, you'll always be rich. And so I just started living that I started working, uh, I was lucky my parents provided for, for my basic needs. If I wanted something extra, I had to buy it, but I was taken care of. And so that allowed me the opportunity to be able to be a saver and an investor. And I just kept going with that. And what I realized is I got just as much satisfaction by actually going to the store and purchasing these silver coins, if not more satisfaction than I did going and purchasing toys. And as I just watched it grow, I went from, you know, a few to now I have a chest full of it. And now it's like my dad is getting mad at me because it's like I filled up his safe with silver coins. And he's like, okay, yeah, this isn't going to work out anymore. You got to keep it in the room. So, <laughs> so, so you turned it kind of into a pirate game. Yeah, yeah, it was a game. And I think I still kind of get that. I get so much satisfaction from just watching wealth grow. It's almost like I'm, I'm playing it right. I'm doing it right. It's not necessarily the money. It's the satisfaction from wow, I, I, I'm making something grow. I, I'm, I'm growing something. I'm bettering myself. And then um, it, it's just, a, I guess, a self-reinforcing cycle almost. And I think it's yeah. like that for a lot of people. So for the sake of the listeners, I, I just want to maybe point out that there was probably for all of us an event that happened that either decided that we are going to become consumers or we're going to become investors. 
and you made a decision to become an investor, to collect, to, to grow, to repopulate, yes. and to be competitive. Because mm -hmm. a lot of people don't know how they motivate themselves. And so you were catalyzed by this desire of competition to compare, to compete, to conspire, to achieve more. I love that. And then you went out and did it with something you loved. But you mentioned at the top of the call that you've always been an analyst and you're very patient. I'd like to dig into that a little bit and, and get your perception on how important is that for you as in your identity quadrant? How important is that for me in my identity quadrant? As an investor. As an investor, I think that's very important for me um, because Rock, that that's how I'm good at investing. I mean, I, you need to be able to analyze because you need to be able to make those decisions and the right decisions and, and look at fact and say, okay, you know what? For example, right now, um, Federal Reserve printing plus governmental stimulus policy in huge dollar figures, we're talking trillions, typically by past measures results in inflationary pressures. And to be able to look at that and say, okay, look, these cycles take years to play out. What's the best move to make now based on that analysis? And then you place your trades and you make your investment and you, and you have your plan and then you have to wait. And I think that's the mistake most people make. We kind of have this like day trading culture going on now where it's like, I need to make 200% today. And, it's, and if you don't, you know, I'm, I'm done. And, then, you know, and what ends up happening is you lose 200% that day and now you owe money to your, to your brokerage. And so um, the, the ability to analyze and then decide what's best, but also the patience to execute it and to give it time to run out. Um, when I'm making these, these investments, I'm typically looking one, two, three years down the line. That, that's what I want to be in line with. I want to be on the right side of a long-term bull market. Because as long as I'm on the right side of something going long term, I know I'm going to win. Anything can happen this week. I mean, who knows? Who knows? But as long as I'm on the right side of something that's going long term, even with a little bit of leverage, typically it's going to play out. But that requires patience. You know, I may not see my results here for months. And for a lot of people, that's hard to do. They're checking their accounts every day. So that's that's why it's been so important for so I've got a bunch of questions for you. I invest in the stock market. Last year was my best year ever. This year I did incredibly well. Um, I think everybody that was in the market did well. Uh, I got lucky with uh, cryptocurrency. Um, I'm part of a group that convinced me to buy a coin that you might have heard of called Doge. Um, uh, but I bought it three years ago or two and a half years ago at 0 0.003 cents. Wow. So I'm one of those, those people that for your point is patience, you know, have enough dogs in the race. One of them is going to eventually step up and just lap the field. But um, at the time of this recording, we are in a very interesting time because I really thought like you thought that uh, inflation was going to start kicking in. I thought there was going to be a high level of uh, repossessions in the stock in the in real estate coming up. Yeah. Um, and I pulled all my money out of the market uh in about a month ago mm -hmm. because i just felt like it's toppy i had an incredible run and i'm just not going to be too greedy and so what are your thoughts at this point in time based on your experience and then i want to ask you a follow-up question to who invests with you and where you invest sure um well this is this is um really interesting because a lot of investing to kind of touch on what what you've done is is personal and individual you did what you felt was best for you and that's what made you comfortable and you always need to be in line with what we call our sleeping level 
And for you, you were uncomfortable. You felt like, hey, I've made a lot of money. I'm anxious about what's going on now. Had you stayed invested, you'd still be thinking about it. You'd still be anxious about it. So I think you made a good move because you stopped yourself from being an emotional investor. So allow yourself some time to decompress. Um, as far as inflationary pressures and where I think we're at now, these things take years to play out and they take a lot of time to materialize. But I think we're starting to see the early, early um, stages of this cycle. I mean, with food prices, everybody's heard of what lumber's been doing. If you check the gold markets, the gold markets are starting to pop off again and, and same with silver. So commodities prices are going crazy. And what you typically see in the early stages of an inflationary cycle is it's almost like the market's on drugs because it seems like everyone is making money no matter where they put money. And that's great. I'm glad everybody's making money who's investing and I'm glad that every single investment is going up, but that's not normal. And what happens is it becomes normalized. And so you have a lot of people that um, just the moment they get any money, they buy and they start buying on leverage and which further, I guess, progresses the inflationary cycle because it's just more buying, more pushing of prices up and everybody's still getting rich. And then eventually what you start seeing is that leverage, which is typically variable rates, interest rates start ticking up. And now these people can know who are, you know, usually like, oh yeah, we'll just keep buying, we'll refinance. It's like, well, the opportunity to refinance is there. Right. And so we're in the early stages of the cycle where everybody's feeling rich. Uh, asset prices are going up across the board. I think it could run like this for a little bit. And, and, you know, especially since the federal reserve seems or not the federal reserve, but um, the government seems very keen on more stimulus packages, more money, just, you know, dumping into the economy in people's pockets, which is going to keep pushing those prices up. So uh, near to midterm, I think stock markets are okay. I prefer commodities because those are hard assets because those things will hold their, their value better. Um, but, you know, it's not necessarily time to, have grave concern, but I think that time is coming. You know, we're, we're kind of in the, if we can go back to an era, the 1960s, pre-1970s, where inflation really took off, interest rates really spiked. We're kind of, the foundation has been laid and we're starting to see the, the effects of that. Yeah, we had a choppy 680 on the Dow not too many days ago. Um, I My guess is, and you know more than me, is I think things are gonna get choppier over time. Um, until we find some support. So what what asset classes do you invest in and who invests with you? Sure. Um, so who invests with me? Uh, if you remember the newsletter I spoke about, the, it was called the Weber Global Opportunity Report, the one I started reading when I was 16. When I was 20 years old, after following that advice, it made me enough money that I could have effectively, like I said, retired in my early 20s. I decided to reach out and write him a thank you note. His name's Chris Weber. And I just said, you know what, Chris, thank you so much. Because of you, you've inspired me to be an investor. I listened and I'm financially free now in my early 20s. I can live whatever, you know, I, I can never have to work again if I don't have to. So thank you. And we ended up hitting it off. We became close friends, found out we have a lot in common. And then over the course of the next few months, I, I got to the point where I said, you know, Chris, can I ever work with you? You don't have to pay me. I just want to be close to you. You're a mentor and I really respect you. He wrote back and he said, uh, it will take an act of God, but I'll let you know. <laughs> and I was kind of like, oh, well, you know, I can't really control acts of God, but I'll, I'll take I'll take my chances. You're saying there's a chance. So um, fast forward about six more months, he had a falling out with his then partner. And he reached out to me and asked if I actually wanted to be an equity partner in a new investment firm, Weber Global Management. So <clears throat> now I'm in, in business with my longtime mentor. He's a close friend. And he is a brilliant investor who's been investing officially now for over half a century. 
and he's done very well at it. That is such a great story. You know, you never know until you ask. And when you show gratitude, there's um, these great things that happen. Yeah. So um, do you guys, you guys have multiple funds? How does it work? And um, what kind of sure. returns do you guys shoot for? Because, you know, I, I have people that come to me and they, this is, you've heard this before, person finally saves up $300, uh, 330,000. And then they go, you know what, I'm going to go into Forex exchange, or I'm going to go into something. And I'm going to, I'm going to 10 X my money in the next 90 days. That's my goal. And I go, really? I go, who do you know that's done that? And they go, whoa, I don't really know anybody, but I took this one online course. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. That's really great. I go, Ray Dalio, as far as I know, doesn't get those numbers on a consistent basis, but, right. but maybe you'll be the first. So, um, so I'm curious, what asset classes do you invest in and what do you guys shoot for as a return? Sure. Um, well, for us, we're, we're set up as a registered investment advisory firm. So we have um, clients with separately managed accounts. The account's in their name. We have trading authority on those accounts, um, which is different than a fund structure. The fund is one account. Everybody invests into that account and then, you know, keep it separate. Got it. Um, so... Each client has a different risk tolerance, and that this kind of goes in line with what I said earlier, Rock. We want our people to be in line with their sleeping level, because if they're anxious and they're unhappy, not only is it going to keep them up at night, but it's going to create more work for us, for me, because they're going to be calling every day saying, "Yo, oh, what's going on? Talk, talk." They're going to keep you up at night. Exactly, they're going to keep me up at night. Um, but you know, I'm always I'm always here for them. So we we have different levels of return for different people, uh, depending on what they want. But ideally. For you know a standard portfolio, somebody who comes to us and says, you know, I don't have really anything special. I trust you guys. I trust your expertise. We just try to outperform the S and P um, by any amount after fees. So um, S and P average is about eleven and a half percent. We shoot for that plus a little bit more at least, or else you know we're you know what's the point? Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I like that. So many people are like, they're trying to convince you to go for the seven, eight percent. I'm like, well, I'll just put my money in the S&P and I don't need any help. Yeah. And the, that seven, eight percent came from a time when the S&P was a seven and eight percent average, but that average is always changing. Yeah. So we want to stay in line, at least with the averages is what we call them, the S&P, yeah. the, the NASDAQ, but give a little bit more just to show our, our value. And then um, the asset classes we're in currently, we're really, we've really been shifting to the commodities sector. We went heavy into precious metals. And then uh, we recognized gold was kind of making a double bottom at 1675 about a month, month and a half ago. And we loaded up on um, long-term call options on uh, the precious metal sector and mining companies. And those have almost doubled in value just in the past month and a half. So by wow. taking by taking a little bit of leverage and leveraged bets on a sound investment product, yeah. you can have extraordinary returns. And I think that's what a lot of people don't realize. They think, well, if I want to double my money in the next 90 days or, you know, whatever my money in the next 90 days, I got to go and buy, you know, something super risky. We need to do Forex. We need to do penny stocks. That's not the case. Place a leveraged bet on a very sound investment product. We did the same things on bank stocks. You know, bank stocks weren't going anywhere. We, we figured, you know, since the Fed is producing money, the first place that money goes is to the banks. Let's buy some call options on the bank stocks. Same thing. Very sound companies, a little bit of leverage. They ended up returning, I think, 150% over the course of the next few months. And we don't put all of our clients' money in that, usually just a small percentage, but yeah. an idea of how we see things. Yeah, no, I love it. You know, when the pandemic hit, I, I just made some common sense choices and I bought some Zoom when it was around 100 bucks. Wow. 
and um, I bought some uh, some Tupperware. Yeah, <laughs> I had a friend. I, I can't tell you any other than I thought plastic. Everywhere I'm going is plastic. Real common sense. I bought it at seven bucks. I got out around twenty-two, and so those little victories. I bought some Pen P E N N. I don't know if you heard of that stock. No. Um, it's a gaming stock, and I bought it around ten bucks and got out at a hundred and ten. So I had some really oh. good runs, um, and I I was just fortunate and um, and decided to move on. Uh, let's talk about cryptocurrency a little bit. Do you? What do you guys think about crypto? Um. We don't do it for our clients, mostly because our clients are risk adverse. They're ultra high net worth. They've had their liquidity events. They just want us to be in very stable, you know, asset classes, things like that. And the crypto arena hasn't come far enough that they feel comfortable in that. Um, for me personally, uh, I don't fully understand the crypto space. I, I can see where there's where there's some value. If I were to invest in it, I would be more interested in the picks and shovels, which are you know the companies that are kind of based around it to make it possible. There's some really great companies coming on board uh, that I think are going to push the the crypto space to the next level. You know, these these businesses that allow you to now earn interest on your on your currencies and then uh, transact with the blockchain technology, things like that, whatever's going to further that technology. Because I look at the blockchain technology and the crypto space as the internet and the coins are simply just companies that are coming on board to the internet. And so, you know, it's like, yeah, they, there's, there's a lot of risk there, but I think the technology is what's really, really gonna be important and special and revolutionary in that sense. As far as the coins go, I did have some Bitcoin. Uh, I ended up selling out of that a little too early, still made, still made a lot of money in it, but um, I, I don't have any crypto holdings currently. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's that in many ways it's at the early stages, and um, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Let's talk a little about psychology. Um, sure. You're how old now? Twenty six. Twenty six. Okay, twenty six. Um, what are some of the practices you do to maintain, um, you know, this grounded attitude? Because investing can be highly emotional, mm -hmm. and there's there's uh, you know when emotions go up, intelligence goes down. Sure. So what are some of the things that you do in order to stay, you know, grounded and I don't say in control, but like a pilot that has an engine go out, the training is such that he turns to the co-pilot and he's like, okay, we got the right engine on fire. And they're like, okay, I got it. Puts the fire extinguisher on. Let's get down to 20,000. And they're just very calm because of the, 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 the preparation. What do you do to prepare to be a great investor? Sure. Well, a lot of it is just in your initial planning. The first thing I always ask myself is, okay, if I'm going to make this trade or if I'm going to make this investment, what is the worst thing that could happen? You know, and I try to think of all the unforeseen things and the nightmares and the disasters that happen so that if they do, it's like, okay, I've already thought about this. I'm ready for this. Or I thought about this. And if this, I told myself this happened, I'm out, I'm done. So think of the worst case scenario, but um, also recognizing that emotion is normal. It doesn't matter how good of an investor you are, you're going to feel that emotion, but it's about recognizing and learning about yourself. When do I usually feel these emotional patterns? And you all, you often hear about, oh, don't follow the herd, don't do this. Um, my emotions tend to follow the herd, just like just about everybody's does. I mean, in March, 
it doesn't matter how rich you were. It doesn't matter how good of an investor you were. You were last March, sorry, last March during the COVID thing. It didn't matter how wealthy you were, how good you were doing at investing. When you were watching the stock market slip and there's a global pandemic going and it's like, you know, what, what's going on here? It didn't matter how good you were. You were anxious about it and you were worried about it. But it's recognizing those emotions and then knowing how to react to them. So for me, when I'm feeling greedy, and what that is, is I, I've learned that whenever I'm feeling like, okay, it's time to go buy that private jet, or it's time to go and buy that Lamborghini, or it's time to go, you know, like I'm making so much money, let's go buy that dream house. That's when I start almost without fail. It's like, okay, we're due for a correction. And I've learned that at that point in my psychology, similarly to when I'm looking at my screen and I'm like, what the heck is going on here? This is a disaster. I'm going to have to like go and get a second job. And that is usually the bottom. And so it it's knowing that it's like, I feel like this, I should be doing the opposite of what I'm feeling like. I'm feeling like I should go buy that house or that Lamborghini. I need to do the opposite of that. I need to lighten up and I need to go and like, just chill out for a few days, you know, meditate, things like that. So it's learning your emotions, I think is, is most important when it comes to an investor. Learn your psychology because we all have weaknesses and the market's are very, very good at zeroing in on those weaknesses and exploiting you to death until you crash and burn. So learn what, the, learn what your emotion is and when it hits in the cycle. So do some paper trading to learn that. And then also uh, daily I journal and I meditate. And uh, gratitude has been a huge thing for me this past year, just being grateful for everything and expressing that to people and recognizing that you know I don't need more than what I have because I have everything I could possibly ever want. I have more than enough. And so having that gratitude, um, and then just the journaling and to try to bring myself down to a very calm state so that I can go into an investment and, and into wall street, which is very tense and high emotion and just be able to weather the emotions, uh, in a, in a sense, I guess, Zen, you know, let the emotion just flow through you, take it all in and then don't react to it, react to the fact. Yeah, beautiful. I love that. Um, I got a couple of juicy questions for you. But before I get there, I want to ask you, does Wall Street get together and um, drive prices one way or the other uh, intentionally to flush people out? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm never going to say there's not manipulation in the markets because things do get manipulated. I, I think we saw manipulation with the whole AMC, GameStop, things like that, where short flow got way too high, but then there was counter manipulation. The Redditors stepped in and they were artificially manipulating those prices. There was no business basis to that. It was it was manipulation on both sides, which is why the SEC got in. They're like, we got to stop this before this gets out of hand. Um, but the, the way I, I'm really thinking about it, um, if there was the ability to manipulate all the time, and in a way that was effective and would push prices up or push things way down, I think everything would just go up because if, if you could just artificially manipulate everything, it would be manipulated. And we'd all be billionaires and we'd all just be manipulating prices and doing this, that, and the other. Um, I think the greatest manipulator of prices is actually the Federal Reserve, not necessarily Wall Street traders or institutional investors. If the Fed wants prices to rise, they're going to cut interest rates and they're going to produce wealth and money and, you know, give, right. give them, flush it into the economy. That I think is the manipulation that we see most often. Otherwise it's going to be more one-off events like the GameStop thing where, you know, in this freak scenario, there was too much short float. There's not enough shares to buy back. And a bunch of people caught on to that and decided to, to take advantage of it. Yeah. So you do see things like that a lot. That makes sense. 
So how do you marry, and as we're coming to the end of this, this interview, how do you marry being blissfully dissatisfied? And so let me give you a context is, you know, I think we all want to grow as humans. We all want to expand. We want to contribute and experience as much as possible. But at the same time, we want to be grateful for what we have. And when we look at the psychology, do we risk saying, I have everything I want, and therefore we repel opportunities and at the same time, by wanting more, do we somehow sabotage being happy? Sure. Um, I have, for, for me, a lot of it was, I, I kind of was able to watch my dad growing up. My dad was a very hard worker and we, we did end up making it out of that poverty area, but he was a workaholic and he never enjoyed his money on the way up. And he never enjoyed time and things like that. And he got hit with a mortality event. He, he was diagnosed with heart failure and they told him he had six months to live. And he's like, oh my gosh, I've worked my entire life and I've never been able to enjoy it. He never lived in that moment. And for me, that was a huge wake up call that, you know, while you're growing, while you have your ambition, take time to actually live and enjoy your life today. And so I've, I've kind of taken that into consideration. Um, and I, I try to live every single day. You know, I'm right now I'm here at, at the Phoenician in Scottsdale, it's beautiful. It's sunny outside, but and, and I'm working. But I'm also after work, I'm going to go out and sit by the pool. I'm going to go and I'm going to see some friends and things like that. Um, but for me, a lot of the personality trait it comes down to patience. I'm highly ambitious. I want it all today, but I've learned that the got to make it all today, got to have it all today, is is deadly on Wall Street because you're going to end up taking huge risks and you're going to blow it. And so just recognizing that you know life is pretty good. I have a pretty good life today. I have good friends. I have I've um, you know, every, everything I could want. And I have a great life today. Now that doesn't mean I don't want a better life tomorrow and a better life in five years. And so for me, it's, it's making those plans, realizing that there's a lot more out there and I want that. I'm, I'm excited about that. I, I, I have an airplane currently, but I want a bigger and better airplane. I, I have, you know, I travel all the time, but I, I want to travel more and that's okay, but be patient and, and allow yourself the time to get there because it, it's cliche but you know, as, as you continue to grow, you learn this, the joy is in the journey. The, the fun is in yeah. building yourself and the networking and, and building your business and growing. And, and so for me, it, it's just been, it's been a privilege and, and it's great to continue to achieve those goals and to set new goals, better goals. That's awesome. That's awesome. Do you fly the plane yourself? Yes. You do? Yeah. I love, I love that. I love that. Thank you. When did you get your pilot license the first time? Um, still, I still do not have my private pilot's license. I just need to get medically cleared. It's been a busy few months, but uh, I fly with my flight instructor all the time. He's a really close friend. So anytime I want to go up, he just, you know, comes on and go. But yeah, and I know how to fly. I just need to have a doctor basically say, yeah, you're 26 and in good health. You're good to go. Yeah, beautiful. Well, you, you're a fascinating human and I love the fact that at this stage you're so wise and that you know you see the future you're grounded you're humble but you're also you know incredibly successful um what do you say to people that you know look at somebody like you and go well, i didn't start you know collecting silver at seven years old i didn't i didn't have that vision i'm now whatever 25 35 45 um and what i hear you know britain saying is that it takes time and I don't have as much time as I'd like to have because most people that I meet, they feel like they're not where they want to be, right? They're like, oh God, I shoulda, woulda, coulda. Um, what do you say to people like that? 
you know, it takes time, but it doesn't take a lot of time. And I think it happens, you know, people, people say years, you know, I, I give it a couple of years and that sounds like a ton of time, but I mean, think about how quickly this past year has gone. And anybody who just started taking little baby steps then would be much further ahead a year later than, than they were at all. So it's recognizing that, yeah, years, years sounds like a lot of time, you know, two, three, four, five years, but it's really not that much time, especially if you're using good principles, sound investing, and you're, you're making those good decisions and you're not trying to make it all today. So I would just say, patience, start now and wait and see the results. Because I was, I was seven years old when I started. And by the time I was 16, I had a few hundred thousand bucks built up just by continual investing in a long-term bull market cycle and letting time you know, take over. And had I been worried, I mean, during that time from age seven to 16, there were multiple 50% plus corrections or at least, you know, 20% corrections in the value of those silver coins. But I didn't really care. I was just buying them for fun partially, but knowing that it was a store of wealth and, you know, just the trend kept going up like that. And so give yourself the time, get on the right side of a long-term bull market. And I promise you, you're not going to be disappointed with those results. Yeah. Dollar day averaging worked out for you pretty well over that period of time. So that's very cool. So increase your earn, decrease your burn, manage the rest invest it, be patient, be grounded, be analytical, look for the right opportunities that you can seize, surround yourself with incredibly smart people like Britain. Where can people get hold of you so that they can have a conversation with you about um, accessing your wisdom, investing with you, et cetera? Sure, um, our website, weberglobal.com, you can set, put in an inquiry, it'll come straight to me. Or um, for those of you on social media, at Britain Hill, I'm uh, not, I haven't been good at social media in the past, but I'm starting. I'm getting more active on it. I see the value in it now. And so I just, I set up a new account. If you want to contact me there, you know, shoot me a message. I'm happy to talk to anybody, answer any questions. No question too small. My biggest thing now is I love helping um, millennials, Gen Zers, you know, pe people my age that are doing what I'm doing because I know that I am I'm pretty far ahead in this regard and I have a lot of value to give. So anytime I can help peer uh, get those, you know, first steps or answer any of those questions, love to do it. Is there a minimum for investing in your firm? Minimum for our firm uh, is typically a million dollars. We'll sometimes make exceptions to that, but um, yeah, in, anybody that wants to just talk about it or even ask, like I said, no question too small, we'll try to work with you on any level. Beautiful, I love it. Okay, thank you very much for joining us today on Rock Your Money, Rock Your Life. And the reason that we have this podcast is because I believe that when you do rock your money and you do get to that place of security that we talked about at the top of the show, then you have time to do the stuff that really matters, which is to work on yourself, uh, improve your health, improve your family life, uh, spend some time at the Phoenician and enjoy yourself, yeah. whatever the case may be. But until you handle that part, you're gonna be trading your most precious commodity, which is time for that money so that you can pay your bills. So let's get you out of that situation. And you learned a bunch of stuff today. And gosh, if you can do it by the time you're 26, even before that, how cool is that? You're a great inspiration. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Rock. Appreciate the opportunity. All right, guys, if you like this, then make sure that you subscribe, share it with other people. Um, listen to this episode again, take some notes. Wisdom is not something that you just listen to. It's something that you act upon. So take some action, um, become patient in your investments and get started today because time is going to be on your side. In real estate, we say don't wait to buy real estate, buy real estate and wait. 
Maybe there's something equivalent in investments in the stock market, but certainly get in the game. So we'll see you guys on the next episode. So that's it for today's episode of Rock Your Money, Rock Your Life. Head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. Then head on over to rockyourmoneyrockyourlife.com and pick up a copy of Rock's free gift so you too can reach your financial potential, enjoy extraordinary success, and live the life you've imagined. Join us on the next episode.